The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at capitalcommunitychurch.com. We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 7. John 7, I'm going to read verses 11 to 24. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is the word of the Lord. John 7 if you'll remember, begins a period in Jesus' ministry of widespread unbelief. Several weeks ago, we looked at the unbelief of Jesus' own family members. And now Jesus comes to the Feast of Booths, and we see the unbelief of the Jewish intellectuals of his day. And really, all the way from here until the crucifixion, you're going to see belief amongst his disciples, but amongst the masses, what you're going to see is unbelief. And here, though, I want to especially focus on the problem of intellectualism, the problem of intellectualism. One of the most dangerous things for your soul is intellectualism. And what I mean by that is the pursuit of knowledge while not submitted to divine revelation. I'm not talking about using your mind to think. I'm talking about using your mind to think apart from God. That's what I'm talking about. 
It's knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's knowledge not submitted to Scripture. It's knowledge outside the authority of Christ. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 3, 7. He says, uh, the intellectual is always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Do you remember the Enlightenment? The Enlightenment is called the Age of Reason. And what the enlightenment, enlightenment was, was a period in history where people said, you know what, we can figure things out apart from revelation. We can use our minds to explore and think, but we don't need to submit our minds to what God has said. And that's why Immanuel Kant said, look, you can't believe in miracles. You can't believe in the supernatural because the supernatural defies what? The mind defines what you can think. And so that is the age of reason. And that's the age that you and I live in today, the age of reason, that there has to be a rational cause, a rational explanation for everything. Why does that fly in the face of Christianity? Because Christianity is a supernatural religion. How, how do you explain the resurrection rationally? You can't. How do you explain Jesus walking on water rationally? You can't. So that's why rationalism and intellectualism is so dangerous. Knowledge outside of fearing God causes you to become prideful. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. It causes you to rely on your mind, your intellect, and it blinds you to ultimate truth. Intellectualism is also dangerous because knowledge, and listen to this, knowledge is not the same as wisdom. Knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. They're not synonymous with one another. Knowledge is the ability to know facts, maybe a skill. Wisdom is the knowledge of God in the ability to function in this world. I've known people that got a perfect score on their, on their SAT, but they didn't know how to function here. And I had a great grandfather who never graduated from college, but he was the, one of the wisest men that I've ever met. They're not the same thing. Wisdom, Solomon says, Proverbs 9.10, begins with what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So there's a great danger in being really smart and, and, and knowing a lot about the world and being prideful in that knowledge and in that intellect, but not fearing God. In fact, I would say the greatest fool is the man of intelligence who educates himself, but all without the fear of God. He thinks he's wise, but in reality, he's a fool. Proverbs 26, 12, write that verse down. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The problem is, is you can educate yourself to the point where you think that you don't need God. You have a rational explanation for everything. And when you get to that point, there's no wisdom there. 
There's no wisdom there. Just go to the campus of an Ivy League college and walk around. You have the, the, the future intelligentsia of our time, and they don't even know what gender they are. You have knowledge. I'm serious. You have knowledge without wisdom, professing to be wise. They became fools. Why? Because wisdom is knowing God. It's fearing God. Because God is the creator. And when you cut yourself off from that, you're done. Intellectually. You see, you think the intellectuals, they think that they're on the the right side. But they're not. They're actually blinded by their own intellectualism. And that's why, listen, that's why not many intellectuals enter the kingdom of God. And it's always been like this for the past 2,000 years. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says, look around. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. There's not many that are the the, the smart according to worldly standards that enter the kingdom of God. And here's the reason for that. To be a Christian, you have to come to the end of your intellect. Now, let me, let me caveat that. Not in the sense that you stop thinking, but in the sense that you start listening. In the sense that you start listening to what God has said in his word, and you submit your reason, your mind to Christ. Let me give you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this. This is 60 years ago. Reason must never determine what we believe. The business of reason is to teach us how to believe. It is an instrument, and the trouble arises when people allow reason to determine what they believe. In other words, instead of submitting themselves to the Scripture, they turn to science, to philosophy, or to a number of other disciplines, and their position is determined by these things. They allow reason to determine what to believe instead of how they believe and how they think. And that right there is the spirit of this age. Look around you. We are in a Romans 1 world, aren't we? We are in a Romans 1 world where people are being given over to their folly, all in the name of what? Wisdom. They think that they know better than God. And when you think you know better than God, when you exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator, what God does is he gives you over to judgment. He says, you want to go down the foolish path? Go. And that's the judgment of God. So when you turn on your news, what you're seeing is the judgment of God on the arrogance of man. We're on the right side of history? Really? We're on the wrong side of judgment. We think that we know better than God? So there's a very grave danger in intellectualism. And I want to show you five dangers of intellectualism from this text. 
The first is this, the danger of intellectual power. By the way, what you're going to see is going to explain a lot to you of how things are working right now in the world, okay? Because things haven't changed in 2,000 years. You're going to see the danger of intellectual power. Intellectuals form hierarchies of power where they control the narrative and flow of information. So what happens today is the modern media, academia, DC think tanks, the Scientific Guild, the New York Times, they, they seek to control what information is put out publicly. And we're all starting to see this because there's leaks and, and you're seeing how information is suppressed on social media through back channels. And there's a reason for that, and it is this. Intellectuals only trust other intellectuals. It doesn't matter if you know the truth or if you have the truth. If Harvard and Berkeley don't like it, it's not accepted as truth. Moreover, the intellectual class believe that they know which facts the public can handle and which facts need to be suppressed or doctored. What happened after Jesus rose again from the dead? Do you remember what the Jews said to the soldiers? They said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. That's what you're to tell people. Because, and this is important for you to understand, intellectualism is more about the preservation of power than the pursuit of truth. It's more about the preservation of power than the pursuit of truth. And that's just human nature apart from divine grace. The intellectual will lie to themselves to preserve their power, and the truth remains hidden. Look at this. Look at verse 11. The Jews, and that, that reference to the Jews doesn't refer to all the Jews. That is a reference to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. If you look back at verse 1, John records that Jesus was not going into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's the religious leaders. So it says in, in verse 11 that these religious leaders were looking for him at the feast. Looking isn't a strong enough verb. The verb is zeteo, and it means seeking. They are searching for him. They are, they're uncovering every stone, trying to find Jesus. And they're saying, where is he? And the reason for this is because they want to kill him. And the reason why they wanted to kill him is because they were envious of him. They wanted to preserve their power as the intellectual ruling class. Jesus says in Luke eleven forty six, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings of the marketplaces. The people don't know what to make of Jesus. So the, the crowds, the populace, and there's a disagreement about him. Look at verse 12. It says, there was much muttering about him. That's basically speaking quietly, whispering about him among the people. Now, there's a disagreement. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. So there's division about Jesus' identity amongst all the people. And these would be people that have come to the Feast of Tabernacles from all over the Roman Empire both Jews and God-fearers. So they don't have the inside information that the religious leaders do, but they're there and they've heard about Jesus. They heard that he 
uh, did a miracle in Jerusalem, multiple miracles. They've heard something about his teaching, so they're, they're whispering, they're, they're talking about him. And the reason why they're whispering and not having open conversations is in verse 13. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. The people are afraid to speak of Jesus and to explore what the truth actually is because of the threats of the power brokers, the religious leaders. We learn in John 9.22 that the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they said this, You might talk about Jesus, but if you come to the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, then you're done with Judaism. You're out of the synagogue, you're out of the temple, so they're they're making threats to the people. And here's what Jesus does, look at verse 14. Jesus subverts the Jewish intellectuals. It says about the middle of the feast, so the feast was about eight days long, Jesus goes up, day four, day five, Jesus goes up to the temple and he begins teaching. And this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The the prophet Malachi said in Malachi 3.1, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And what Jesus does is he subverts the religious intellectuals by simply going into the temple and proclaiming the truth. And that is the example that we have to learn from today. What do we do when an intellectual elite class which opposes God, controls the narratives, suppresses information, what are you supposed to do? Well, you do the same thing that Jesus did. You keep teaching the truth. Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. This message is a supernatural message, and it brings change to people's minds and hearts. You can't stop that. You can't stop it. The communists tried to stop it. They couldn't stop it. Nobody has ever been able to leash the Word of God. No one can. So you unleash it. You speak the truth. That's what Peter, James, and John did. They went into the temple after the resurrection. What happened? They spoke the truth. Many were converted. They threw them in jail. An an angel opens up the door. They go back into the temple. They keep preaching. More people are converted. The the council grabs them. You you can't, you have to stop teaching this. You have to stop teaching this. No. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. They did the same thing with George Whitfield. He came to this country and they tried to take away his preaching license. They barred him from the churches. Said, you can't, you can't preach in, our, in the Anglican church anymore. He's out on the Boston Commons preaching to 25,000 people. You unleash the word. And friends, that's how revival will come again to our nation. It's not going to come through the intellectual class. 
It's going to come through simple people simply proclaiming the truth in the fear of the Lord. So that's the danger of intellectual power. But there's a second danger that intellectuals are prone to. And that's the danger of intellectual prejudice. This is such an important one to see. One of the the great problems with intellectualism is the prejudice towards education, that you must hail from the right institutions, the right organizations. Sometimes this is called credentialism, that you have to have the right degrees. The truth, listen to this, has to come from someone with letters after their name for it to be the truth. That, that's what our world largely believes. If, if the truth is proclaimed by a simple homespun preacher, it can't be accepted. Because he's not from the right institution. Well, Jesus completely undermines this. Look at verse 15. And look at these religious leaders' response to Jesus' teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning? That phrase, has learning, literally means has letters, has grammar. How does he know grammar? How does he have this knowledge of the Scriptures? And look at this next phrase, when he has never studied. And by that, they meant that he had never studied formally under a rabbi. Obviously, he had studied the Scriptures, but they mean he's never gone to uh, the, the school of the rabbis. How does he have this knowledge? They were simply blown away hearing Jesus teach. The verb that's used is thamazo, and that's translated in the, in the ESV as marveled. It can mean astonished, stunned, surprised. And this is one of the great themes of the New Testament, one of the great themes of Jesus' ministry, is that everywhere he went, people marveled at him. Never forget that. Never forget that. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a man with extraordinary gifts. He's not, he's not a great man. He is the God-man. He is truly man and truly God. And when he stepped foot on this planet, people were stunned. Even his enemies are stunned by him. If he were here today, stunned, marveled at him. When he taught, people marveled. Look at verse 46. After he was done speaking, the the Pharisees asked the, the officers, why didn't you arrest him for teaching? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one's ever spoken like him. When he was a young boy in the temple, Luke records, Luke 2.47, all who heard him were amazed. 
when he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, Matthew 7, 28, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he taught in Nazareth, Luke 4, 22, all spoke well of him and they marveled, thamazo, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Towards the end of his ministry, when the Pharisees were trying to trap him in a loophole about taxes and and they asked him if it was right to pay taxes, and he asked them for a coin and said, whose, whose image is on the coin? And obviously it was Caesar's, and Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Matthew records, when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Matthew twenty-two twenty-two. When he performed miracles, people marveled. When he calmed the storm, when he was asleep on the boat with his disciples, Matthew says in Matthew 8, 27, that the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? When he healed the demoniac, Mark 5, 20, and the demoniac went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, everyone marveled. Matthew 15, 31, when Jesus did all sorts of miracles, the crowd marveled. When Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the crucifixion and he heals the demon-possessed boy, all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling, Luke records, Luke 9, 43. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate marveled, Matthew 27, 14, that Jesus gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. The reason why people were always stunned by Jesus is because Jesus in the Christian faith defies what you can learn from reason. Here's what I mean by that. You can't go to a science class and learn how someone can walk on water. You can't go to UNC or Duke and learn how to multiply five bread and two fish. No class on that. You can't learn how to defeat death at any institution. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt in your philosophy. Jesus is a supernatural man, and so wherever he went, people marveled at him. And that's why education can only get you so far. You can't build that education tower of Babel and get to heaven. At some point, you're going to have to come to Jesus and submit your mind to him and believe because what he offers is supernatural salvation. A.W. Pink 
said, quote, education is an altar which is now thrown by a multitude of idolatrous worshipers, end quote. If you're clinging to education, your mind, your, your smarts, your published peer-reviewed articles, your Wall Street Journal column, your show on MSNBC, that you are the intellectual and that you have all these answers, you will never get to Christ. You never will. And this is Jesus' explanation in verse 16. Look at verse 16. He says, I get my teaching directly from God. That's why you're all stunned by it. It's supernatural teaching. He says, quote, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He says, I'm not an innovator. I have directly received revelation from God, and I am communicating it to you. He says in John 8, 28, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. This is a fulfillment of yet another Old Testament prophecy. Moses had prophesied that there would come a final prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Moses says, this is the prophecy, I will put my words in the mouth of this prophet who will speak to them everything that I command. So here's what you need to understand. Jesus was not brilliant because he simply studied the Torah in Joseph's carpentry shop. Jesus was brilliant because he was in the beginning with God and he was God. He was brilliant in the temple as a young man because he was communicating to the people directly divine revelation. He was saying, I am the Son of God. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, the life. He is speaking wisdom directly from God as God. And if you have intellectual prejudice, you will never see it. So that's the danger of intellectual prejudice. We've seen the danger of intellectual power. And now I want to show you the danger of intellectual pollution. Third, the danger of intellectual pollution. One of the teachings that came out of the Protestant Reformation, and this is, you can see this in Luther, and Zwingli, Cranmer, Calvin, they all said this. They said, what you need to understand about the mind and about your ability to think, you need to understand that your mind, too, is fallen. That, that sin has affected your ability to think rationally. And here's some scriptures that they use to support this. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ephesians 2, 3. Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Listen, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. One of the great problems with an intellectual is that they are not morally neutral. 
but the intellectual thinks that he is. He thinks that with his mind he can discern truth from error while not realizing that his mind has been affected by the fall. So while trusting their intellect, they don't realize that their mind is polluted by sin. Jesus says this, John 3, 19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. So this prevents the intellectual from being able to accept Jesus's teaching. Listen to what I'm saying. In their heart, And in their mind, and perhaps your heart and your mind, you have a prejudice against God. And regardless of the facts that are actually presented, because Christianity actually is the most rational thing that you can believe. But when the facts are on the table, because you want to live the way that you want to live, you deny the truth you suppress it, and you won't believe it. Any, any of y'all see that, that interview with Richard Dawkins and Ben Stein? A few years back where Ben Stein was asking him about the origins of the universe, and he's talking about the, the law of causality, and, and Dawkins has to admit, he, he's like, you're right, somebody had to create the universe, because something never comes from nothing. Dawkins admits that, which many secularists will not admit. Say there's just a big bang and it came from nothing. That's sheer nonsense. But Dawkins is smart enough to know that that can't be true. And Ben Stein says, well, what do you think? He said, well, there had to be some other life form out there that created the universe. So he says, you believe in aliens, that aliens created? He's like, yeah, that's what I believe. So he would rather believe, he would rather believe something nonsensical than to come to face the reality of the truth. You see, at the end of the day, intellectualism is a house of cards. It's not built on the actual truth. It's built on what people have said is true when there's holes all the way down. So Jesus points out this problem to them. This is their problem. It's a problem of the will. It's a problem of the heart. It's a problem in their mind. Look at verse 17. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, what your problem is, is that you don't desire to do the will of God. You're not on God's team. Not now, not ever. You haven't been on God's team. You're on a different program. And if you are on God's team, if you have submitted your mind, your heart, your life to him, and you proclaim Jesus as Lord, Jesus said, if you submit your will to God, then you will know there will be a validation that what I am saying is true. So this is important. The way to actually think clearly about life in the world begins with faith. Faith opens your eyes. 
writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11.3, through faith we understand. Augustine said, understanding is the reward of faith. So when you desire to do the will of God and you hear what Jesus says, and then you start applying what Jesus says in your life, there is a validation that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And I'm not just speaking 2,000 years ago, I'm talking about your own life. I'm talking about in the here and now. That if you truly listen to what Jesus said and put into practice the teachings of Jesus, that you believe in him, that, that you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you pray to your Father in secret and you address God as your Father, that you love your enemy, that you love your neighbor, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you do these things, there is a validation in your heart, in your mind, that Jesus is indeed who he says he was, that he is the Lord, that he is the Messiah. But the Pharisees, the scribes, the, le the religious leaders, they don't have that internal compass because they haven't believed, they haven't submitted. And Jesus points out something else, verse 18. Look at verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Th th this is what they they're about. They're about their own glory, their own name. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, the one who seeks the glory of the Father, is true. And in him there is no falsehood. This is the great contrast between the Jewish intellectuals and Jesus, is that they were after their own glory. John 12, 43 says they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And this is what pitted them against the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is the litmus test still of every single ministry and every single truth claim. Does the preacher, the teacher, seek the glory of God or their own glory. If they seek the glory of God, they will not speak on their own authority, but they will speak the message of God. That's why every cult leader doesn't speak the truth. Every cult leader is after their own glory, and they speak their own message, their unique message. Notice also what Jesus says. He doesn't say that what I say is true. What does he say? Look at this. He says, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus is saying, I am the essence of truth. I don't just speak truth. I'm truth all the way down. John 14, 6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The true preacher is pure in heart, and those who are also pure in heart, who seek the glory of God, recognize that, whereas the intellectual seeks his own glory. And that's the great danger of intellectual pollution, is it clouds your judgment 
You don't even realize that you're blinded to the truth. So we've seen the danger of intellectual power, the danger of intellectual prejudice, the danger of intellectual pollution, and two more very quickly, the danger of intellectual pharisaism. The danger of intellectual pharisaism. Jesus goes on the offensive. He hits back at the Pharisees. And by the way, by Pharisaism, what I'm talking about is making arbitrary laws and then not keeping them. I'm not talking about holding the standard of God's law. That's not what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees added laws. And then they didn't keep the laws that they added. Kind of like all these politicians that said that you can't meet with people during COVID and then they had their private parties. Too soon? <laughs> that, that is Pharisaism. And, and Jesus points it out. Look at verse 19. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He says, look, you pride yourself on the law and, 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 and these extra rules that they had made. You pride yourself on knowing the law, but you don't keep the law. Moreover, he, and, and he exercises his divine prerogative here. He knows their hearts. He knows that they desire to kill him. Jesus says, you seek to kill me. You, are, you actually have in your heart a desire to break the sixth commandment. You desire to kill me. So now, verse 20, it, there's a panorama. It goes to the crowd. So this is not just the religious leaders. This is part, part of the crowd that's there. Some people in the crowd, they answer Jesus. They, they cry out. They scream. They say, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. The crowd assumes that Jesus has been taken by delusions of grandeur. And they accuse Jesus of being possessed by a demon, which, by the way, is what sin? blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you accuse the works of Jesus to be of the devil, Jesus says that that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and is the unforgivable sin. Matthew 12, 31. Jesus answers them, verse 21, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Obviously, Jesus did many works. He did thousands of miracles. But the work that he's referencing is the man that had been lame for 38 years that he healed on the Sabbath at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Now notice Jesus' argument here in verses 22 and 23. He says, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a, a man on the Sabbath. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, I want you to really think about this. I want you to really think about your laws. You have these two laws that, you, that you've been given. You have one law, which is that you, are to, that you are to keep the Sabbath day holy, that you're to rest on the Sabbath day. You have another law, which is circumcision, that you are to circumcise a boy on the eighth day. But what happens when you have a boy that needs to be circumcised on the Sabbath? And there seems to be a, a conflict between the two laws. Well, Jesus says, uh, what you do is you actually circumcise that boy on the Sabbath. So Jesus uses an argument of the lesser to the greater. Look at verse 23. 
He says, you should know this. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? So he says, you're not thinking clearly. You're using unequal weights and measures. You say it's fine for a boy to be circumcised, but it's not fine for a man to be healed. Where's the logic there? Where's the logic there? Well, the truth is, there is no logic there. It's illogical. And this is one of the other dangers of being an intellectual, is that you use unequal weights and measures. They're pharisaical. Do as I say, not as I do. This is a rule that you need to abide by. I'm not going to abide by that rule. Stop using fossil fuels while I fly around in my private plane. That's, that's the deception of being an intellectual is that you've become blind to your own duplicity. And what Jesus is simply doing here is he's saying you're not thinking logically about the law. If you, were think, you think that you're smart, but you act, you're actually not even using your mind properly. That's what he's saying. And this leads to the fifth and final danger, the danger of intellectual perception. Verse 24, look at verse 24. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's saying to these Jews, here's the problem. The way that you think about the world is wrong. But you believe that you're right, but you're wrong. The problem is, is that your desire to preserve your power, your prejudice towards having the right education, the pollution that's in your own mind, the Pharisaism by which you operate, all of that is causing you to judge the world with a false standard and not God's standard. So your perception of the world isn't really reality. How you view the world is not really reality. Have you ever been canoeing and you look down and it looks like the, the oar is bent in the water? Th- that's the perception of the intellectual. The intellectual's vision of the world is off kilter. It's skewed. The oar's not really bent. Looks bent. But they're not able to judge properly. Just look at how many intellectuals right now are saying that there's no gender binary. Really? X, 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 Y? This isn't hard. What's happened? Well, people aren't seeing clearly. And, and Saul talks about this, or Paul. I want to show you this real quick. Turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12. Because Paul is one of the few people in the New Testament that, guess what, 
he was an intellectual. He was one of these Jewish class. He prided himself on his knowledge. He's one of the few. And, and notice that how he describes his state as an intellectual. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. This isn't anything that Paul did. This is something that Christ did. You remember Paul was on the Damascus road going to throw people in prison. He says, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Now look at this next phrase. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He says the state of my mind as an intellectual was ignorance. The ignorance of unbelief. And what happens to Paul? Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That is what is necessary in the world. I just told you these five dangers of intellectualism. Well, guess what? They can all be wiped away in a moment with divine grace. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel in divine grace has the power to cut through the fog of any intellectual. And you might be here this morning, and you might be listening, and, you, and, and I'm describing the dangers of intellectualism, and you might be saying, that's me. That's me. I don't want you to hear, leave here this morning saying, oh, well, there's no hope for me. There is hope. There is hope. But the hope is found in this, that you submit your mind to Christ, that you submit your life to Him. He is Lord. He is Savior. There is grace that you can have the mind of Christ, that you can start thinking clearly about the world but it starts with submitting to him. There was a man who died 12 days before I was born named Francis Schaefer. He died May 15th, 1984. And he dedicated his life to what we've just talked about, to the, to the fallout of the Age of Enlightenment. And he, and he started a, a place in Labrie, Switzerland, Labrie means shelter, and it was basically a place where the, the smart, the, the, the brilliant people could come, and he would teach them, look, if you want to understand the world, you have to start with this. You have to submit your mind to God's revelation, and then you will have a biblical worldview in which that you can understand the world properly, and he dedicated his life to that. He said, bring your mind in submission to Christ in faith. Let me close with a quote. Here's Schaefer. We must stress that the basis of our faith 
is neither experience nor emotion, but the truth as God has given it in verbalized, prepositional form in the Scripture, in which we, first of all, apprehend with our minds. So the truth begins when we humble ourselves and go through the gate of the cross. And then in faith, we begin to understand. And I want to invite you to that. Don't live in the dark where your mind refuses to come to the truth. Come to the light. And in faith, you will understand God and the world as it really is. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would have the eyes of faith. And we thank you, Lord, for this revelation that we've been given this divine revelation that tells us how to, to think and what to know and, and the truth about God and the truth about ourselves and the truth about Christ and the truth about the gospel and the truth about divine grace which overcomes our rebellion, the truth about heaven and hell and the final judgment and that history is on a trajectory and it ends with you coming back with a host of angels to judge the living and the dead. We thank you, Lord, for this truth that you've given us and the grace to understand. And we pray, Lord, that we would walk in that truth, that the word of God would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.